Welcome to Health Law Talk, presented by Shahardi Sherman Williams. Health law broken down through expert discussion, real client issues, and real life experiences. Breaking barriers to understanding complex healthcare issues is our job. And good afternoon or good morning, whenever you're listening. Uh, this is Conrad Meyer on another episode of Health Law Talk, Shahardi Sherman Williams. And in the studio today, we have all of them, all of the moderators in today for a group discussion. Uh, Rory, Belina, George Mueller in the house. How are you guys? Doing well. Morning. Happy Friday to everyone. Yes, this is a Friday. Absolutely. Great weather here, not in other places. So we're grateful for that. Amen. Amen. It is too. It's beautiful outside. Absolutely. You know, uh, we're, we're referring to as if, if, depending on when this gets published, this is uh, right after uh, Hurricane Ian, with Ian, 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 Ian. which, um, you know, we pray for those in Florida. I mean, we, we've lived through this in Katrina. It's terrible. So, uh, but we're here in the studio, ready to go and talk about what are we talking about today, guys? I think we're going to talk about um, the, how to close a medical practice, right? And was there another piece that y'all were going to talk about as well? Closing yeah. a medical practice and then wrapping up, either closing a practice or dismissing a patient, terminating a physician-patient relationship kind of goes hand in hand sometimes. Sure. Together, or, or terminating sometimes a patient not. in an active practice if they're unruly or what have Correct. you. Correct. Right. Non-compliant. We've, that would be a good one, yeah. We've spent a few episodes talking about how to start a practice, how to get credentialed, right. billing, all that good stuff, but we haven't ever talked about either dismissing a patient or closing a practice. And I think it's a it's a, it's a good topic to uh, to get on today. So, Conrad, you want to take us off? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, I think all of us have come full circle on this in some form, point where we've, we've gotten a call on closing a practice. And, and one of the biggest questions, you know, we can start off with, you know, getting rid of patients or how do you get rid of patients or advise them or what's the, what's the proper way to do it so that you don't get in, tr- in trouble or there's no liability issues and, and mm-hmm. so forth. And, 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 or, or just having what just a moment ago, an unruly or non-compliant or what I call difficult patient, right? And, and there's specific things you have to do for that. So uh, especially from what the board says here, um, have you guys, you know, do y'all have any, I guess, war stories from clients? I mean, you know, with respect to some unruly patients or some issues when you're closing a practice? Yeah. Uh, Go ahead, George. No, I was going to say it, it seems like two separate but somewhat related issues. Certainly, I, from my standpoint, typically I'm dealing with people who may be closing a practice and the immediate thought comes to mind is what's the reason they're closing the practice? And um, it could be that they're being bought out. It could be that they're retiring, or it could be some version of that where they're kind of passing the torch. And uh, all of that in the background, you start thinking about a couple of things. One is continuity of care of the existing patient panel, which is very important. And then uh, depending on whether or not the physician is doing a full exit, uh, continuity of maintenance of medical records. Those two things kind of from a backing into what the board wants to see right. and what other laws require, uh, you're dealing with, again, making sure that nothing happens to harm the patient and the continuity of their care 
and then nothing happens to those medical records, which of course have all sorts of privacy obligations attached to them. And then so we find that some of our deal documents have a tendency to build those things in, medical records, maintenance agreements, I'm sure you've all seen them, whereas who's going to pay for them, who's going to sweep the dust off of them, who's going to go get them when a subpoena comes or when a file is requested, and then for how long is that obligation? And I've been to go to six or seven years, and sometimes That's right. they add a year or, mm-hmm. you know, depending on what state you're in or who has the records, et cetera. Um, and so that, that, generally speaking, is how we deal with it. But, uh, you know, wrapping up a medical practice, it's a, it's a big deal. And I, I, frankly, I think it's also an emotional thing for a physician. If you've practiced for that, you know, 20, 30 years, and you're kind of stepping into your next, one of the things we've noticed is that physicians, you know, it's, it's a big deal for them, right? So outside of that, you've got to deliver some good advice on what to do, when they need to do it. Um, and then speaking to the things about continuity of care and making sure you comply with the board and with state laws uh, is also kind of there. Yeah, and I think, you know, we, we tend to see a lot where instead of, you know, closing a practice of physicians retiring, bringing bought out, selling their practice, so we work into the deal documents, what happens with the patient records, the patient notices that go out saying that, you know, you have an option to continue on with, you know, the, the uh, buying doctor uh, or get your records transferred out somewhere. But in the case of an instance of a doctor that's literally closing the doors, not selling his practice, maybe unexpectedly passes away, that's the situation where you have a little bit more um, kind of reaction thing to do, right. work. Um, you know, I've experienced a physician that unexpectedly passed away, you know, very unexpectedly, and um, the, the process was, you know, essentially you, you have to notify the board. They want to know where the records are going to go. So you have to figure out where they're going to go. Are you going to keep them at the clinic for, you know, 30, 60, 90 days, allow patients to come get them or put in their transfer requests and then send them off to a storage company where you can contact the storage company for, you know, requesting those records. Um, But I think it's important if, if you're in that situation to definitely talk with someone because there's some specific things that the board wants to see happen. Uh, if you don't have a plan in place, just like with a legal practice transferring over uh, patient or client files, but sure. same thing in, in a medical practice. So that's typically what, what I've seen um, in, the, in the unexpected death of someone. You know, yeah. what, I guess one thing I want to ask if either of y'all, and, and I don't know this talking here, um, have you seen situations where uh, what you both describe are something that's very, very controlled, right? You get, you're given the advice, you get enough time to close the practice. Uh, Rory, in your situation, I mean, even though it was unexpected, you're controlling it, right? What about the the the, the call where you get if you ever if you've ever gotten this, um, you know, George, Rory, Conrad, or whoever? Did we we have a situation here? This clinic or doctor so and so is it, it seems to be closed. Their patient records in the dumpster. Um, we have oh, a wow. serious situation here. Is this like the windbreaker people are coming to get them? Right. Okay. So, so I guess the question, have y'all ever dealt with that? I mean, is that even real? Do you think that actually goes on? I, I know that, uh, you know, anecdotally, certainly certain practices have a tendency to draw a little bit more regulatory scrutiny. You know, we, t- we speak of pain management and uh, mm-hmm. other things, or maybe, you know, high DME type practices where mm-hmm. enforcement actions are there. Um, I, you know, I have been around or involved one that involved kind of a joint enforcement action related to um the irs and the atf at the same time and because you know, oh, wow. yeah and so what was that like 
Well, it was interesting, to say the least, because it was a, it was a call. You get it one morning, and someone, the physician actually wasn't there. Someone else, something else was going on in that physician's life, and said, "Wow, every all the windbreakers showed up this morning and pull all the records and everything." And I think you just what you do is you want to advise people to be as compliant and as cooperative as possible because you know at that point in time if you're in a heavily regulated practice non-compliance is highly inadvisable and it's probably only going to worsen whatever scenario it is you're in and it could be just you know surprise inspection of records because of controlled substance uh, prescriptions and whatnot or it could be something that's more specific to who and how they're operating right and so you don't know that because clients don't always tell the truth Right. So you've got to kind of piece through while at the same time, I think, advise them not to do anything to worsen any noncompliance that they may have committed or be, you know, have have done. Right. No, Haney, what, what about the? And, and I, I get that on an investigation. I, I get mm-hmm. that. But what about the, you know, closing in the shop at midnight, turning off the lights and suddenly just patients pull looking, the plug, they pull got the on plug a and, and yet went to Central America. Correct. And all of a sudden you see the dumpster filled with with stuff and then happens to be patient I, records. I don't know. You know, I, we've certainly heard of at other places, uh, you know, tax returns being thrown in the dumpster and whatnot, right. different things. Here's. I, depending on who you represent, what your scope of representation is, I don't know what you can do to kind of sua sponte try to mitigate, right? I, or, I mean, is that your charge? Are you capable of doing that? Um, or do you just have to try to get the next best level of information with respect to authority as to who's operating that practice and what's happened, Rory? Yeah, uh, I've had two um, instances where something similar has happened. One where a building was being demolished, and right. in the demolition they found patient records, and someone found that. And of course, instead of contacting the company demolishing or the or the owner, they they call the news and say, "I found these patient records." So we had to we had to deal with that. Um, and then the other one was a kind of closing medical practice or terminating someone. I think this comes up a lot if a f- provider is unexpectedly terminated. Is there was a provider who was taking home paper medical records and would not return them, and the practice wasn't really sure what records they, they had and didn't have because they were all on paper and he had physical paper files at his house. So that process was really, really interesting. Um, it involves contacting the Office of Civil Rights and essentially saying, we have a data breach. We don't know exactly how many patient records were uh, sent home, but we think we know. And it, it, I mean, there's a process involved. They assign an investigator. You have to answer questions. Um, in this instance, we thought it was below a threshold that they set of 500 more or less. And so um, basically we, we had to send out letters to every patient in their billing system because that's the only way we really knew, saying, hey, we think your records may have been compromised, so call this number if anything happens. We'll sign you up for credit monitoring for a year and pay for it. I mean, right. it's a, the Office of Civil Rights has a whole process. In that case, we self-reported. We mitigated. Um, we did everything that we could to get those records back. They didn't administer a fine against the practice for that. They, you know, they said you've done everything correctly, um, but it could happen. And, and I think it happens a lot when you've got a doctor that's fired, a doctor that just kind of goes rogue. Maybe they're stealing the files and they're going to go open up their own shop down the street. So um, those are all real life scenarios that have actually played out. So what sure. about bankruptcy? I mean, so in other words, like in the case of bankruptcy, it's closed the shop, right? Into the scenario that you described, which is kind of what I'm, I'm, I'm driving at is is 
when you have a situation where you just have these derelict patient records, these these physical records, right? An orphan. An or right, and and suddenly you have an obligation. Let's say that it happened within the last seven years, with which still within the statute, right? Um, who's gonna? Where, where, first off, where do they go? Yeah. And if they get, what do they go to a storage? And who's the who is sort of the the record supervisor? And who pays for that? It's funny you mentioned bankruptcy. A few right out of law school, I worked at a firm that did a lot of bankruptcy work, and we, uh-huh. had, a, we had a trustee in the office, and there was actually a medical practice involved in a bankruptcy. And it, it ultimately became the custody of the trustee. And so he didn't have the, the paper files in his office. They were offsite at storage. But if a patient wanted them, they had to go through him to go through the process. Even and if there's no money left in the kitty to pay for that? Yeah. I mean, because the trustee gets money from the court that uh, essentially gets, you know, billed to the debtor in that case. But, yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Interesting. So it's that it's trustee's job to administer and, and manage the the assets, which include the records. Well, guys, what about cloud? I mean, now, right? I mean, most of the time, most practices like on, on Athena or some sort of other EHR, Athena, not really an EHR, but but some sort of an EHR. So how would, you know, let's just say, just like we talk about losing the records or going turning lights off, what happens if suddenly you close the practice and you lose access to the cloud? Yeah, I was going to say it's a point. It's a matter of access, right? And then who right. who has the ability to get that? And is it a function of well, you haven't paid, so everything's still locked up in the cloud when or you you're not pay an authorized your user, yeah, right? right? I mean, come on. And, and certainly, I, a patient's not going to be an authorized user, for right. That right? And I see that in in pretty much every data agreement or EHR agreement that I review. It always talks about you know if you terminate or if you're terminated or if this contract just ends, you switch to another vendor. They'll give you this. There's some portability yes. Yes. built into that, right? The, yeah, and, and the government has stepped in and, and, and kind of said that these records need to be able to transfer from one to another and not have a special algorithm or, or code that prohibits that. But it's still very burdensome to do. And a lot of times they'll, these EHR companies will give you a super small window of you have 10 days to let us know if you want your records. And if you do, it'll be you know, $1 per megabyte. And if you don't, they're destroyed, and they're gone forever. And so that's always something that we have to push back on and negotiate and say, hold on a second. If we're closing a practice, we've got a hundred things going on. Yeah, One that, of them that window is completely insufficient. Correct. To satisfy correct. the spirit and stuff. That's a short fuse. And to get those records before they're destroyed and you want, you know, your, your new IT vendor or wherever you're sending them to be able to look and see, okay, I can access these or I can't because a lot of times they really don't, they don't work with don't other systems. Speak to each other, right? Correct, correct. Sure. I think, I, you know, I was thinking one issue that uh, came to mind while Rory was talking about his earlier issue. One thing, the thing that I was involved in prior to I was discussing anecdotally was the IRS and the DEA, not the ATF. It was a separate set of alphabet soup, but that was ah. it. Um, is insurance <laughs> and tail coverage. I can't keep, oh, that is a good point. Yeah. Think that's about, a I mean, that's a huge, point on the you know, and, and obviously state to state it varies, but I know in Louisiana and Conrad, you can speak to this better than me, but the manner in which coverage is maintained and the manner in which, and the timing and the time period for which you advise a physician or a practice that they need to continue to maintain that and they start using the T word, tail coverage. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, how long, how much does it cost, and, and what are they going to do? And that, are they truly sunsetting their practice? Are they moving to a different model where, say, it's an out-of-state private equity company that has all their own insurance? What happens to that local insurance? And then, you know, is the quality of that insurance the same, right? Or do they have access to the same learned Louisiana counsel that 
your local insurer does, right? And I mean, we had talked about that earlier with the local insurer. And, and that's uh, important to look at from the beginning because a lot of times when you're buying your malpractice, you're not paying attention. You want the cheapest plan. So <clears> you're going to go occurrence-based claims made. But then when you go to close, you find out, well, hold on, now I have to buy a tail policy for all this. And they catch you on the back. And I know, Conrad, you've gone through that. And, uh, you know, we always get the question. So maybe you could explain to the people listening the difference between claims made or an occurrence-based policy and how tail kicks into that. Well, I think I think it's interesting. So, so tail, tail, the, the whole purpose of tail is to cover the, your, your, the time period that you were previously employed uh, or with a group. And, and in Louisiana, it's really interesting because Louisiana has a three-year preemptive period, preemptive period, not you know, preemptive. Yeah, that's it right. So, um, so that means what it mean, that means is there's a, there's a maximum of three years that a that a, a patient can bring a claim uh, against a, a medical provider, uh, but only one year one year from the date of discovery. Maximum of three years on the preemptive period. And but where's that three years measured from? Measured from the time the services are rendered. This is the last time. They were the last patient visit they had, or is it the? Because I always get a little foggy about it is, when does a preemptive? Because obviously, a uh, counsel who might want to keep a claim alive or say that they're within the yeah. time period is going to argue that the the last touch or the last word or the last advice so or the last reliance. Was interestingly, you say that I had a case about this. This is very interesting. So, doctor did surgery back in 2017. Let's mm-hmm. just say it was January 1st, 2017. Mm-hmm. Okay, so technically, the surgery, the, the encounter was the surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, the patient um, knew that there was a problem almost maybe a year after that. They had some complications, but never brought suit. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it, the clock started from when the patient reasonably would have known that there was an issue from the surgery. So, so it's a reasonable standard, uh, right? And, and, and so you got it. And so they, they, they should have brought suit within, the year, within that year because they're within the, time, the three, three-year time frame, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they didn't wait to bring the claim until 2021, which was interesting. So I'm like, well, wait a minute. You know, something's not, I didn't pass the smell test, right? Mm-hmm. So I went back and looked at the medical records. And, and sure enough, what the patient did, I think that they knew that it was wrong. Like, in other words, they knew the claim had prescribed. So because they found out about it, that the, the, the surgery was a January 1st, 2017. They discovered it January 1st, let's say 2018. So they had one year, January 1st, 2019, to file a lawsuit. Well, in the fall of 2019, the patient scheduled a clinic visit with the doctor to discuss the surgery. Nothing else. No other services were brought just to discuss. And, and during that meeting, it got very heated. It was documented in the record, and the, and the, and the physician terminated the patient, which we're going to you know, go into a little more. Uh, but they tried to use that date on the, uh, on the 20, in the 21st, December of 2021, uh, to say that it tripped the three-year parameter. That was the date that 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 actually services run, and they lost. I mean, I, I, we brought that up to the court. The court obviously agreed with us, and it was prescribed. It was done. So people try to do that. So that's the gray area, and why tail's so important. Tail covers you if you uh, if you if you don't have. I can't. It's, I always get claims made. In a current space, I always get those mixed up sometimes. So, uh, but anyway, if if you have claims made, covers you for the time 
Uh, I think it. I can't, you know, I can't. I just can't recall. I get this confused. Sorry, Rory's going to remind. Rory's going to remind me all that stuff. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, is if 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 you you need tail coverage, if you uh, if you if you think if you have a current, maybe it's a currents based mm-hmm. that uh, that you that you need tail coverage for the three years. Either I can way. hear all the other attorneys are shouting. They the are like the Conrad. Like, say it right, you know. <laughs> and I'm just like, wait, it's a Friday. So. Um, Anyway, the point is the tail coverage is very expensive. And in any employment contract, it's, it, it's sort of the gotcha moment where we try to negotiate that to see to make sure that our, you know, right. your, your, your employee doesn't pay that if they don't have to, depending on who, who you represent. So, you know, that, that's the best explanation I can give a tail. Yeah. So, and like, like Rory's <laughs> looking at me right now. He's like, I got it, Conrad. I got you. <laughs> no, so what you're, no, you're, you're on the right path. Um, no, claims made is the policy where you're going to have to buy tail. So it's typically, okay, it's, it, it's, okay. it's cheaper on the front end. Yeah, right. Um, you swap the economic burden. Correct. So I was wrong. So actually, it is claims made. So, the, so they, thank you for correcting me. Yeah, no, no, no problem. I would have failed the bar exam on that. This no, thing. it gets, it gets, a, it gets confusing. A Occurrence is based on its coverage occurring during the term, regardless of when the actual claim is made. Okay, claims so that, made the is when the, claim, when the claim claim is made, which makes tail very important in that case. So uh, no, that's no problem at all. That's okay. But See? but yeah, bringing bringing that back I'm to glad Rory was here. He got that. I'm glad I brought the issue. You up. did because it made me look really kind of foolish. Not that uh, was not the point. It was an opportunity to. <laughs> Freshen, refresh, and sharpen good, good, good your knowledge. Te- good on that. teaching point. Uh, bringing it back to you know closing a practice or, or terminating that that patient, um, it, your insurance is, is an important part to, to find out what you want to do because, like you mentioned, Conrad, you don't want to close the door and cancel it, turn off all the lights, cancel all your utilities, cancel your insurance, and then catch something a year or two later, you know, or get, and get you it. You don't want that. And, and it speaks to, again, I've, I've got dual track going on. One, one part of me wants to ask what sort of form letter and what sort of criteria do you have to document in your notes, in your prior visits in order to be able to quote unquote, terminate a patient sure. for the type of willful noncompliance and or something. And then my other thought is, um, to the point of, I not wanting to pull the plug, um, you also just don't want to get rid of that entity, that right? Because right? that's your shield. And so a lot of people want to pull the plug on it immediately. That's important. I think that's important <laughs> to talk about because I have had that, that phone call where, you know, you're, you're shutting down the shop and they're like, okay, I want you to cancel the policies and can you dissolve my entity? And that's when right. I know, George, you've got the expertise on that to talk about why to not dissolve an entity for a while and the benefits of, of not doing it. Yeah, so I think generally speaking, it and it applies to just about any business, but certainly in one where potential exposure and liability, you know, really does exist, um, is that entity. And I realize to a certain degree for medical malpractice that that is, you know, you can't really use an entity to shield a professional from that. We know that is embodied in Louisiana law, um, but for all other types of liability that could be entity specific. You don't want to expose yourself to that personally. And we, we're talking about tort liability, slip and fall liability. I mean, technically, um, you can get sued for a breach of contract, uh, I think, 10 years in Louisiana, which is almost seems like 10 years. Goodness, that's crazy. Sure. We, we tell people one to three years, and you're pretty much done for everything. But there are some things that have four-year and six-year per, you know, prescriptive periods. Contracts have 10 years. I think, practically speaking, you can deal with the allocation of risk and likelihood of exposure and get it to the point where it's remote to non-existent when you get past three years, you can really kind of advise a client. But telling them that they're going to have to pay the Secretary of State 
three more years of fees and file three more years of, you know, no activity tax returns, et cetera. It becomes a little, you know, they don't like that. So they don't want to pull the plug mentally. They just want to they get it be all done. done. Right. But you have to remind people this is almost like an insurance policy in itself. You want to keep that open so that if you had a slip and fall or you had an employment claim that you didn't know about because there was a hostile work environment issue you had no clue about, any of these things, they could be kind of rats in the woodpile waiting to sure. start smelling. And so we try to assess that. And, and some, look, we, as a practical matter, you do get emails from people. So I just want to get rid of this LLC. It's all fine. I don't have anything. You have some minimums. Attorney, you have to document. Are you sure you have don't have any liabilities, any unperformed contracts, any you know employees or other any things that are coming sure. back to haunt you? Get rid of this, and you know you could arguably be liable personally, at least to the extent you got money from the LLC, which I think is what the LLC sure. law says. Um, but as a practical matter, you're, you're there without the shield of a limited liability company or corporation to protect you. And Connor, what are your thoughts on that from a payer perspective of? Not wrapping up your LLC, not essentially terminating your NPI from a recoupment standpoint. (laughs) Yeah. You're in a quagmire. I mean, you're in a real, first off, you know, you're going to have to have time to continue to have your receivables come in. I mean, you're lucky if you're on, if you're between, you know, 30 and 60 days. I mean, that's pretty good. That's really good. I mean, that's excellent. So, so let's just, you're, so you're not, not likely in that window. You know, if you're even 80 or 90 days out, so that's three months. And then you pretty much get all the stragglers in at 120 days, but then you have appeals. So you you know you got to appeal. You might have a lot of appeals. So depending on you know your current AR, you're going to want to make sure to to at least hold open that so you don't lose the opportunity to appeal and and or recoup, refund all those issues. What about Medicare and Medicaid heavy practices that have kind of that mm. annual sort of true up and yeah. refund process? I mean, yeah. it, you really have to. I think let the air fly out of the balloon yeah. for a while. Right? And I always advise the same thing, especially patient populations that are heavy on Medicare is, you know, don't wipe the bank account yet. Hold some money in there because there could be a recoupment. They could just funnel it back. Right. And if that if that bank account is empty or if that entity is gone, I know, George, this has come up on a couple of deals that we're worked on. Everyone wants to sweep that bank account in. I'm oh. closing the practice. I'm moving it over to my personal account. What are your thoughts on that? I think you've got to build in your time and you got to build in some money there. Much the same as we're always chasing a working capital adjustment and how much is enough to leave in. I think when you have these government payers and or any, if, and now people are switching to value-based arrangements right. and most of them are upside only. I think eventually they're going to be moving to downside, which is going to be another way of, of just kind of putting recoupment into all the payer deals. I sure. hate that word. Sure. I, it's, I mean, as a, in a healthcare setting, I mean, how, the, the recoupment. Yeah. Yeah, so Conrad, you've, uh, <laughs> you've done some rack audit work before. Yeah. And how long after, say, oh, the man. payment event can those come up. I think it's another point where you start to look at what is the outside limit of time and then how can we move that time inward to get the entity done. I think the look back, I mean, I want to say, oh man, y'all are getting me terrible today. I think the look back is, I want to say at least, what, three years or two? I can't. The point point is every time I think we think about something that is an anecdote that we talked about our practice point, we find another reason to say, please don't pull the plug yet. Sure. And if you've just done a deal, you've probably got well, at least you, the, 18 months to but, two or three years but then, on then some it's, reps then it's and warranties. It's arguing the hold back, though, guys. It's arguing the hold back. 
and and how and, the, and how much because you know nobody wants to do that. Yeah, no, that's a, certainly a deal point. Always, how much is the hold back? We have percentages that act as thresholds from a negotiation standpoint right. to start at, and they usually go up or down. And as we know. If the healthcare regulatory attorneys are turned loose on the last 10 days of the deal, <laughs> they come up with, we've got to return everything, full disclosure. We've got to double a whole back and oh, good, right. uh, you know, right. all that. So, um, well, look, I want to, I, I get all that. And, 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 you know, because of course, you know, we're here to plant, you know, the traps, right, Rory? Yeah. I yeah. mean, the traps and the deal. That's, well, that's I think it's just, it's important to, there's just so many aspects of opening a practice. Everyone's excited. You're getting out, figure out, and going, and then when you're when you want to close it, you know you just want to be done with it. You wanna, you want to be done with it yesterday, and yeah. unfortunately, it's not a fast process. You it, know, there's things to keep it open just for like an employment standpoint. You know, if you've got a disgruntled employee, or you didn't pay out all their vacation, or you know anything like that, the, those issues can always come up too. So I think it's important to not hurry to close as much as fast as you want yeah, to turn off those lights. You're not doing yourself any favors by trying to quote unquote shut the entity down and for whatever like I said whatever nominal charges you're going to incur over that two or three year period uh, it's essential but you know your reps and warrants that you make I mean the entity makes a lot of reps and warranties the fundamental reps never go away so that that's you know you're not going to get rid of those but a lot of the operating warranties reps and warranties and maybe even some of the qualitative reps and warranties that you make about some of the assets that are conveyed and or lack of liability, et cetera, all of those, you know, have a pretty slow burning fuse on them. So the reasons to kind of begin argue against the go dark. And yeah. And, and, and what about the, I know we're, we're pivoting a little bit from closing to the sale of a practice, but if you're selling a practice, how important is it? And I, I know where the answer is going to be, but how important is it to keep that entity alive for any liabilities that could come? I know we've all had deals where they try to get the individual physicians liable on those schedules and those reps and warrants just as much as the entity. And, and if we're representing seller, we try to pull that back and say, no, this is a rep and warrant of the company, not of the individuals, but keeping that entity alive for those reasons, you know, if they're withholding money in escrow, what are your thoughts on that? I, you know, I think if, if keeping them separate wherever possible is really good. Uh, the use of knowledge qualifiers is probably your second best line of defense. And the third best line of defense is to shorten the time period for which they exist and apply post-closing. Um, you'd like to have them kind of be up to and prior and then you get the issue of when something first discovered. Can you get some anti-sandbagging language in there so that they haven't gotten something that you haven't realized and they come after you after the fact that they already knew about it, they close the deal anyway. Um, we, we try to get that to kind of balance the allocation of risk there a little bit. Um, but yeah, but, but in, the, in the sale of a practice where it necessitates a closing, I, again, I think we've you know, you really got to advise people to keep the window open a little longer let yeah. things it's it's more of a glide path and a wind down than it is a shut the door if yep. you will speaking of winding down i want to pivot for a second let, let's talk about disgruntled patients okay because part of that too i mean we talk about sale of practice and how we transfer records and, and all that but what about the what about the call you get from the doctor saying i have a patient in my waiting room who has you know decided they wanted to have a a um uh, a pet, 
you know, or you know, they they, they do little feel good pets that make them feel good, but they're not they don't really they're not really allocated. Like a, In other words, they comfort but not a comfort certified. pet but not certified, right? Service or they're just ruly, or they just call all the time. Whatever, whatever. Pick pick your disgruntled or, or, or complaining be, be patient. Care, be careful about pets because people are very sensitive about their comfort pets. And uh, uh, well, I'm, I'm so not. We don't I am not. That I, I'm not offending of that. No, we do not, not want to do that. No, but pick your whatever ail whatever whatever patient type of complaint you could think of and finally the doctor says i'm done i want to get rid of the patient sure how many of you have dealt with that i had that um not too long ago and it was actually in a uh dental practice with a patient oh wow with a with a male patient who was think of that in the dental practice well in the dental practice who wants to go to the dentist nobody wants to go i like to go i've been able to get my teeth clean and everything that's one thing but when they bring the drill out this was a this was a male patient who was being inappropriate with the dental hygienist and the oh, whoa yeah it's not good and it became it became an issue where no one wanted to work on the patient and it it became an issue of okay well we need to terminate That's, you and that almost sounds like criminal it, behavior it was, depending it was on what borderline manifestation of it is yeah. you gotta watch that. yeah it was very borderline to that yes um but so but but you know our client didn't want to have to go that route they just said we just want to you know terminate the patient and well does the dental board have any guidance on that did, did you have to look to that or? yeah so the the you know the dental board says that, you know obviously if you're going to discharge a patient there should be reasons for it to document it and, and, and we, we we talked with the dental board about you know uh, being professional with the different hygienists what what really came up was the practice wanted to discharge the patient they didn't want to make a whole thing about it so the patient when he found out he was being discharged decided to uh, file a complaint against the practice as well as uh, dispute all his credit card charges that he made at the practice for Man, for payment no good deed goes unpunished right uh, yeah that's uh yeah. Wow. Yeah. But so th- what, what, what became very important, though, in discharging a patient, kind of just like anything else, is documenting it. So this yeah. practice, they had the hygienist write a statement. They had the doctor write a statement. He actually had, um, you, know, you know, a lot of things to back that up and was able to, because when the dental board said, well, you know, what happened, he was saying, well, here's my statement. Here's the hygienist's statement. Here's what was going on. And, and, and that's why we discharged and, the patient. And, and, and as a practice owner, you have an affirmative duty to provide a safe work correct, right, for right. your employee correct. to protect them and to, to swiftly, quickly, and, and adequately correct respond to this. That's a threat is what yeah. that is. That is a, it could be apprehension of harm. It's sure. going to be an assault. Uh, if, if there's unwanted touching, that is a battery of a, a potentially very aggravating nature. Not a good situation. Yeah, yeah, no, you've got a. No. So it became something where the patient was discharged, received a letter, and um, was told he can go pick up his records. They'd be there, no charge, and, and, and to move on. And the patient eventually did, but was not happy about it. Now see, see, the board now here, the Board of Medicine actually has an advisory opinion directly on this. And so when physicians call, if you ever get this call, you can always point them to the advisory opinion that lays out a, a literally six-step process to terminate a patient. And, and it's, it's got all the things we talk about. 
You know, it talks about notifying the patient in writing of your intention to dismiss or fire them and give them a specific date. I'm firing you as of this date and give them notice for 30 days. Okay. Uh, you know, it's upcoming. So in other words, you can say, I'm going to fire you within this 30-day period. Can you fire them for any reason or does it list any out reason. criteria? So you no. just You could just terminate them if you just don't want to work with them anymore or whatever, whatever the reason is. Full it, panel. There's no, there's no, it, there's, there's no doesn't enunciate. Matter. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, okay? Uh, you got to provide, a, but you have to give an explanation of why, you know. So, so doesn't doesn't say it can be any reason, but you better you better tell why, right? And so that way, if they make a complaint to the board, they can understand why and they can show them the reason. Mm -hmm. um, document the notification in the medical record. That's very important. Uh, I mean, you might have the, pay, the, the the letter, right? You write in a file, you need but a note it, with a date. But you need to put it in the make it part of the record, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and then locate another physician for that patient. That's the continuum of care that we talked about. We want to make sure we have continuum of care. Okay. And then, um, or just say, look, here's some other doctors in the field you can contact. Um, and then transfer all medical records when they get a valid release from the new provider. And then close it out lastly, assure that they have adequate refills of their medications. So. And, and so what, okay. is there any threshold that you all can think of practically, other than obviously if someone is in dire health straits, where... If you terminate right. their, their patient relationship somehow, it's like some component of abandonment by the physician. Where where does that turn into, I have the ability to legally terminate my patient relationship with you versus I can't terminate right now because it would be deemed abandonment, if you can imagine. I think it would deal with the... Just acute care scenario where someone... Acute care scenario where someone... It's sort of like a legal case, you know? I mean, in other words, if you get so far in a case and trials pending... You know, and you tell the judge I have to withdraw from the case. The likelihood of the judge that you does is very small. Exactly. That's what I was similar similar situation with, with a with a doctor. If you if you have been treating this patient in in, a, in sort of an acute setting, or there's a there's a time issue or time variant to a gotcha. to a treatment plan that requires that kind of intervention by the provider, mm -hmm. right? Then I think it would it would not be looked. I think the board might have Disfavor. a problem, you know, with the termination event in that situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like you said, I think timing is everything. It's it's Facts case by and circumstances, case. right? right. Exactly. Making sure that you know you're not terminating them, and they had a a very important appointment on the books in the short period of time because of it, right? Could they harm them medically. The transition or replace or how about this? You refuse to write a script. For their, how about a cancer patient who was coming in for their follow up PET scan, and they have to get it every six months, right? Per mm -hmm. per protocol, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. And suddenly that doctor, whatever it is, says, I'm not seeing you. Maybe it's a radiation oncologist or you're a college. I'm not going to do it anymore. And then you go to another doctor, whoever they recommend, and they say, I can't see you for another four or five months. Yeah, you're, 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 yeah I think that's a problem. That's a problem. That's a problem. And, and, and if, you, if he was – that, that doctor who's terminating was, was my client, I would tell him – you can't do that. Right. You I have mean, to at least get him in for the scan, do the scan, and then make sure that you can get him involved so he doesn't miss the protocol. Sure, sure. I think, like I said, that'd be case, a huge problem. That would be a problem. I think that's an abandonment. Yes. You're harming the patient. You could be harming the patient if their condition's getting worse. I you, think. Can't, you can't wave a letter or at you, that point you, and say, I terminated him, I terminated him. No. In, right. In that diagnostic hiatus, something pops up and then yeah. they come back and you're like, oh, you missed it, right? And sure. And that, that obviously is. You certainly wouldn't want that for the patient, but it's a potential no. liability for the physician. What are your thoughts on terminating a patient for, you know, if they're not paying copays at the time of service and they get behind copays or deductibles? Ooh. What are your thoughts on that? Is there, do you set a threshold of, 
you know, if, if we, uh, I know a lot of practices as opposed to like taking a card at the counter, they, they, they bill you or, and that's popular. I know in a lot of pediatric practices because you're in and out with your kids and like, it's, it's, you know, your kid's sick and they just don't have time to do it. I want to go to those practices because mine doesn't do that. I mean, I'm, I'm got to pay up front. Well, what are your thoughts on discharging for financial reasons? I, you know, I, tough call. I, I, I would imagine it, it, that invokes a couple of different things. One, you know, from an ethical standpoint, uh, the Hippocratic Oath and everything. I think a lot of physicians uh, take that very seriously, and we're very glad they do. And uh, maybe reluctant to. They feel like it's their calling, their duty, and they would like to get the copay, but they probably aren't going to. If they feel you can't, and it's actually an economic hardship. Sure. I would imagine in that scenario, you, wave it. you know, it's physician you have to document physician, it. Why though? You have to document. Well, yeah. Medicaid, the document. Let's assume. Why, yeah. Let's you assume get in trouble if you don't take them. That's so like correct. you're kind of I'm yeah. Especially if you're in network. I mean, <clears> if you're a network under an in-network agreement, yeah. and you don't take you get, them, that 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 could be a problem. Yeah. So what I was kind of going to and y'all are stealing my thunder but Sorry. that's okay because we're all a team here that's right but the, so you see where i'm going though that's how yes. I'm which i think is positive um, like it's good thunder so, yeah no it, it, it is you're backed into ethically what you want to do versus what you're legally required to collect right. at the at the point of service at the, and those things they kind of conflict I, I think you would be looked at favorably if you didn't collect that, but you know, depending on what your payer's doing in terms of evaluating your compliance with their payer agreement and or recoupment issue or whatever, it may not look favorable. So you try to, I guess, you try to get what you can. Yeah, I mean, that's a great legal advice, sure. but I think it. No, well, I mean, that's but, the issue. but if you did, I think the that payers, right? Because mm-hmm. I know you're very familiar with that. Both of you are. You've dealt with this. Payers look for systemic. Waving right. of copays mm-hmm. versus isolated. versus an isolated right. transaction. And that's where I think you're probably going to be. That's going to be fun, I mean, right? It, it's right. if you were doing it all the time, they're going to. But hey, terminating a patient or saying we're canceling your next appointment if you don't get caught up on these copays that we've billed you for. I don't know. It, it goes off in my brain is that is that legal? Right. It may be good business. Well, also, is it is it in network or out of network? So you, I need more facts. Mm-hmm. So if you know, if you want to do in network, I think your in network agreement would would obviously hold, sure. right, George? I think so. Yes. But, a, I, I but just, what about out of network? I tough. I don't know. Tougher call. Yeah, it's a tougher call. I'd want to know facts and circumstances, and I'd want to know if it's chronic and willful, or if it's you know something. Bottom line is, I don't want to expose my client, the physician. To any legal action because they did this, and so I, you know, off the cuff, mm-hmm. I don't have a good answer for you, but I think it, I think we'd know where to get the answer to look at. Interesting. Then we always have good topics, you know. Sure. I mean, I, and if it's I, on I, Friday, I want him to meander a little bit. Uh, that's another thing, you know. I want to see we kind of George in the in the studio more. He I has mean, a good third voice to the he podcast. He does. He does. He knows right. his stuff. He's got a voice for radio. He, oh boy, yes. yeah, face to match. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, I think, I think you know, here, any final thoughts, gentlemen, on practice closing or terminating patients? Um, interesting one to worry about the dental board. I didn't know that. Yeah, That's good. I, I think the big thing, my big takeaway for closing a practice, selling a practice, terminating a relationship is that it's not going to be as fast as the client or the provider wants it to be. It never is. And there's going to be steps involved, and you just want to be done with it. You want to be done with the patient or the practice. But um, unfortunately, you need to follow guidance from whoever you get it from 
because you don't want to fall into a trap a year or two down the road or, or get a complaint against you or not have a patient record and then they you know there becomes an issue with that george um i i think you've got to remember that the entity's your friend and um, you want it to be around for a few years to take some uh, flack for you so to speak and um winding it down otherwise i think you should view it as a wind down and not as a uh, pull pull the plug so to speak in some of the examples that rory cited though i mean it's that's it, unfortunate but you know people leave us sometimes and and it's unexpected and uh, so you've got to kind of deal with that in, in a more reactive scenario um what you hope for is that there are enough business processes in place to where the office manager um, who has all the keys and the passwords and knows where everything is can still provide the continuity of information necessary to transition the practice in a legal manner. Um, sometimes maybe that's not available or if it's more of a sole practitioner with a little less sophistication, um, that, yeah, you could have some issues where you just don't know where stuff is, right? Um, but I think nowadays uh, I think there's – bit more practice automation, a lot of things have software. And uh, so hopefully the, the ability to transition those things, even in the most unfortunate of scenarios, is uh, you know going to be mitigated. Interesting. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up here. I want to thank... Uh, yeah, we went 20 minutes times two. I know. Isn't that great? And with George Mueller. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i happy. I'm so excited he's in the studio. This is great, you know? Got more hot air in here than the Hindenburg. <laughs> well, that's going to wrap it up with, uh, with us here, folks. Uh, another very good. very good episode of Health Law Talk here at Shahardi Sherman Williams. We hope that you uh, got out of this as much as we did. Very good. Yes, sir. And uh, look forward to another episode coming soon. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy your time with family. And enjoy... Just life. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Health Law Talk presented by Shahardi Sherman Williams. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel. Make sure to give us that five-star rating and share with your friends. Shahardi Sherman Williams is providing this podcast as a public service. This podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute legal advice, nor does this podcast establish an attorney-client relationship. Reference to any specific product or entity does not count as an endorsement or recommendation by Shahardi Sherman Williams. The views expressed by guests on the show are their own, and their appearance does not imply an endorsement of them or their entity that they represent. Remember, please consult an attorney for your specific legal issues.